Hi, I'm Kevin Alvis with Big Talk Podcasts. I believe that everyone needs to treat themselves for a job well done. Whether it's surviving a workday jam-packed with mind-numbing meetings, or that five-mile bike ride down the lake with your friends, nothing says, I fucking crushed this, like a delicious cold beer. And there's no finer place to treat yourself than Chicago's northernmost taproom, Howard Street Brewing. Just steps from the Howard Street Red Line, Howard Street Brewing offers a cozy 37-seat taproom that's perfect for catching up with old friends or making some new ones. And don't let their one-barrel system fool you. It's perfectly pumping out a rotating menu of amazing beers like Rogers Proud Pale Ale, the Better Late Than Never Pilsner, and the This Is What Happens Larry Belgian Saison. Not sure what to try? Get a flight. Try them all. Like that beer and want some for the after party? Grab a few growlers for the road. You want some sweet merch with your beers? They've got hats and t-shirts ready for you too. So if you're in Chicago or planning a trip to Chicago, be sure to check out Howard Street Brewing. Open Tuesday through Sunday. No cash, cards only. Oh, and did I mention that there's entertainment every Tuesday night and trivia every Wednesday night? Oh, 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 and did I mention that you can have food from all the local spots delivered right to your table? Oh, 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 and did I mention that they're pet friendly? This place is the shit. So check out Howard Street Brewing, located at 1617 West Howard Street in Chicago and at howardstreetbrewing.com. Be sure to tell them Big Talk sent ya. Welcome to Based on a True Story, where Chicago's best writers and storytellers take their true personal stories and adapt them into wild tales of fiction. Recorded live the fourth Tuesday of every month at Howard Street Brewing, located at 1617 West Howard Street in Chicago. First up is Chicago actor, director, and one slick stick of butter, Mr. Matt Engel. All right, let's begin. So, I grew up in a very rural area, a woodland farm community very far from town, Our nearest neighbor lived roughly 200 yards away through the woods. And the only way to get there was down our long gravel and dirt driveway, then along the shoddy paved road, then on my neighbor's winding dirt driveway. One crisp autumn night, my mother asked me to go over to our neighbor's to get a cup of sugar for a cake she was baking for my upcoming birthday. I grabbed the flashlight and headed out. As I was walking down our driveway, my flashlight began to flicker, the light began to dim, then it went out. The battery had died, and it was completely dark. Remember, it was in the middle of nowhere, and not a street lamp in sight. Unfortunately, it was also a new moon, which made the night absolute black. If you're like my daughter, you might be going, but Dad, why don't you just, you know, use your phone? And when I told her this was before phones, had cameras, and things like flashlights, that's when she really got scared. As I was saying, my flashlight went out. I thought to myself, no problem. I've walked this path countless times, hundreds of times. I can do it in the dark. I decided to continue. Now, it's not often you find yourself moving through this much darkness. Sometimes you might find yourself in a dark basement, an attic, a small room. But in the back of your mind, you know it's going to end. It's finite. There's always, always a door to get out, right? However, to suddenly find yourself outside in the woods, walking in a darkness that encompasses you, is something completely different. It just keeps going. Your senses need to adjust 
You become more alert, and you begin to take notice of things you normally ignore. The sound of swaying trees from the autumn wind, and its coolness that you feel from it on your cheeks. The smell of the dead leaves and the unpicked muscadines rotting away on the branches along the side of the road. The crunching sound of your feet walking on the gravel and dirt. After a couple minutes, I made my way down the winding driveway and stepped on the paved country road. I found that I was impressed with myself at how well I was navigating in the pitch of night. I had grown up here after all. I knew my... Wait. Something was there. I thought I heard something. No? It was my imagination. I kept walking. Wait. I stopped. For every one of my footsteps, I would hear another set of footsteps. But it sounded off. There was a clicking to it. But now I was standing still and I didn't hear anything. I continued to walk. I took three steps. I heard it again. I stopped. It stopped. I waited. Listened. All I could hear was the wind rustling the remaining leaves in the trees, but something was on this road beside me. I looked around, straining my eyes in the dark to see something, anything, an outline, a shape. Nothing. I slowly made the decision to begin walking. I picked up my pace, but soon I could hear the clicking footsteps again, and they were getting louder and louder. I couldn't take it. I stopped. Silence. Whatever was out there stopped as well. I waited there like a statue, frozen and in fear. My heart beat, pounding so loud, I felt like it would give away my position to whatever was on the road with me. Then suddenly, right in my right ear, a burst of exhalation, hot air, hitting the side of my face with a loud I screamed. It screamed. A deep, guttural, Baphomet-like scream. It was a deer. This is where I'd like to interrupt the momentum of the story by asking, has anyone ever fought a deer in hand-to-hoof combat? <laughs> if you have, I'm sure you'll agree that, uh, with what I have to say next. If not, let me just say that nothing can compare you for the viciousness of a startled rusine creature and the embarrassment that comes swiftly afterwards. Now back to me getting my ass handed to me by a deer. <laughs> After I screamed, I should have run away as fast as I could. Unfortunately, when the deer screamed, a part of my brain, that dumbass section in my brain that's only reserved for comic book characters and uh, other things like being inquisitive about things I should not be inquisitive about. And, well, it wondered, oh, it's frightened too. Maybe everything will be just, boom, ow. <laughs> That's when the first hoof hit. Mind you, this occurred so fast that for a second, I didn't think anything actually happened. I thought, hmm, pain, materialized, my skull. This was followed by a one-two combo that made me not only realize that I was in a fight, but that I was the glass Joe of this situation. Yes. I feebly attempted to push it away <laughs> in hopes that I could get, give myself some time to figure out what the hell was going on. However, when I did this, all I really ended up doing was slapping it in the face. Now, I don't know the deer's history with mental health, but clearly I made a mistake. Somehow, I slighted it. I'm not 100% sure. I do, I do know that I had belittled the creature, and now I had to pay a price for my mistake. 
so it charged, knocking my ass to the ground. My only saving grace was that it was so dark, it couldn't see and it only brushed me aside. I got up, I turned toward my neighbor's house and I ran. And going in the opposite direction, I could hear the sound of hooves galloping on the road and jumping through the branches on the side of the road. I quickly finished my errand in record time, not pausing to converse with my neighbor because I was about to crap my pants. And I really, really did not need any witnesses. Thank you. Our next story comes from writer, musician, and cool cucumber, Kendra Stevens. Thank you for putting it to short person. In January 2020, my friend Kelly was working three part-time jobs. By May of 2020, she was surviving on unemployment. She sent me a text one day that said, my friend in Wisconsin has started baking marijuana edibles and I'm selling them. Do you want to buy any? There's gummies, blondies, coffee cakes, and lavender lemonade. Are you making any money too? I texted back. Yeah, I'm adding a few dollars to each item and taking that for myself. Well, I like to support my friends, and I was lucky enough to still have a job, so I placed an order. I'm a giver, what can I say? I biked, over her to place, I biked over to her place the next day to pick up the stuff. If you know anyone else who might want to buy any, let them know. So I told four friends, plus my neighbor, who told eight friends. And just like that, Kelly and I became drug dealers. She would text me after getting more treats. I would text my friends, and we'd go back and forth, keeping track of the stock and who wanted what. I'd bike to her place to get the stuff, then bike all over the north side to deliver. That was basically how I saw all of my friends the summer of 2020. I would bike to their place, put a bag on the ground, step away so they could pick it up, then socially distanced chat until I knew if I stayed longer, I would pee myself on the ride home. <laughs> we were not using each other's bathrooms in the summer of 2020. <laughs> it was a good gig for a few months. Kelly made some money, and I would get a free brownie every once in a while. And then it was a project for me, texting deals while I sat on the deck with my partner. And he would just shake his head and say, I can't believe you who has barely touched the stuff since college, is now selling weed. Unprecedented times, right? I shrug. During one pickup, Kelly said, this may be our last sale. The baker, Beth, told me her boyfriend has gone full QAnon. And she's not going to break up with him, even though he's been scouring the Wayfair site looking for trafficked kids in cabinets. <laughs> he doesn't have a job, so she's supporting him, and I can't stand the thought of helping him in any way. <laughs> well, shit, that sucks. That lavender lemonade was delicious. <laughs> a week later, Kelly called. We have a problem, she blurted immediately. Beth called to ask if we were going to place an order, and I heard her boyfriend screaming that she shouldn't be talking to me because we're Democrat feminazi pedophiles who drink baby blood. 
She screamed back, you can't tell me what to do, you crazy fuck. Then I heard a struggle and her phone went dead. I think he may hurt her. Oh shit, what do we do? This is our fault. And damn our dewy, youthful skin that people who don't moisturize think can only be achieved with baby blood. <laughs> we have to save her. We can't call the cops. They'll arrest her for selling weed treats. She shared her location with me once. I can still locate her with Find My Friends. I think he still has her phone, but hasn't turned off location sharing. If we leave now, we can get to where she is, hopefully before he figures it out. Said, thank God for straight guys who don't listen to true crime podcasts. <laughs> we got in my blue 1966 Ford Thunderbird convertible and headed up to Baraboo, Wisconsin. <laughs> About half an hour outside of town, we stopped to get gas and collect ourselves. Okay. Kelly said. Her phone stopped moving 15 minutes ago. I'm going to put the address into maps. I just hope she's not, I just hope she's only with a boyfriend and not some QAnon coven packing heat. When did you start saying packing heat? Listen, I said, open the glove compartment. Kelly popped it open. Where did you get a gun, Kendra? <laughs> It's not real, it's a prop. We have to use our theater degree somehow, right? <laughs> Kelly grunted but said nothing. Maps led us to the most famous place in Baraboo, Wisconsin, the Circus Museum. <laughs> this is pretty on the nose for this clown, Kelly laughed. If this wasn't our real, actual true lives, I would say this is some pretty hacky writing. <laughs> Let's go cap some crusties, I said as I grabbed the prop gun. <laughs> Kelly stared at me. Like like Krusty the Crown clown, were we were we not doing a bit? <laughs> Kelly opened the door while rolling her eyes. Let's go around the back. Through the window, we could see about eight men in the middle of a circus ring, all in their mid-twenties to mid-thirties, all dressed in various black t-shirts, sitting on folding chairs. In the middle was Beth, waist tied to a chair, hands zip tied together, bandana shoved in her mouth. We couldn't hear them, but the man seemed to be shouting at her, getting more animated by the second, riling each other up. We have to get in there, it's getting ugly, Kelly said. There are two guys with holsters. Those are the ones we have to look out for. Kelly took her hoodie off and her shoes and stood in front of me barefoot in a white tank top. Let's use the element of surprise. We have that. I nodded and pulled out the prop gun. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. <laughs> Kelly burst through the door, throwing her shoes quickly one after another, hitting each of the two armed guys in the head, knocking them out of their chairs. What the fuck? Several of the guys stammered. All right, everybody, be cool. This is a rescue. Kelly yelled as she moved to Beth and untied the rope at her waist. And any of you motherfucking bricks move and I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you. I screamed while waving the prop gun around wildly. We're taking her out of here and you limp dicks are gonna let us, Kelly yelled while pushing Beth to the door. 
The Q gang stared, shocked into inaction. I followed Kelly and Beth, walking backwards to the door, still waving the prop gun. Once they were safely out the door, I pointed the gun in the air, fired a few blanks, and screamed, JFK is dead, you dumb fucks! <laughs> I slammed the door behind me. My convertible squealed up behind me. Get in, yelled Beth. I dove headfirst into the back seat, and Kelly hit the gas. We sped out of town, not stopping until we were long gone. Holy shit, why was that so relatively easy, Kelly cried. I said, I guess a bunch of incels are so not used to seeing women, it just gave us enough time while they processed their shock. But let's not analyze any part of this story too closely. <laughs> I still can't believe it, Beth finally said. I was saved from some bad guys with guns by bad bitches with theater skills. <laughs> Sounds like we could have a new gig, Kelly said to me. What do you think? We go from Thelma and Louise to Cagney and Lacey? <laughs> Kelly, my friend, I don't think so. I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> If you're interested in performing, send us an email at bigtalkpodcast at gmail.com or contact us through our website at bigtalkchicago.com. And be sure to join us the fourth Tuesday of every month for a live recording at Howard Street Brewing at 1617 West Howard Street in Chicago. Blah, blah, blah. Big talk.